Well, good morning again. The uh, message this morning is titled Restoring Our Nation, and it's modified, it's been updated from a sermon series, uh, Summer in the Foothills, by the Church of the Foothills, Pastor Brian Long. He first gave it uh, almost 10 years ago in 2014. It's a July 4th message. Uh, this is a message I was going to bring to you in November, and then I came down with COVID the night before I was supposed to be here, and my fellow Gideon, Ron Warner, uh, called him up, and the, he came and spoke with you, and that was the first time he's ever spoken as a Gideon. I understand he did a really super, super job. The, uh, uh, again, I have all kinds of display Bibles in the back, and uh, don't take all the displays, but uh, there, uh, Nuevo Testamento or uh, New Testaments in orange. If, if there's many of those as you want, you please, uh, you're free to have them. Before we go any further, let us go to Lord in prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name, Lord. We repent of our sins and we ask for your blessing on the message this morning. We yield our lives and our wills to you, Lord. May we evangelize to others as you have given us the discernment to recognize these opportunities that you placed before us. And may we rejoice in the salvation of those that you convict by your Holy Spirit. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So what is the big idea? My personal belief that the strong foundation of our nation has developed some cracks that badly need restoration. And it starts with each one of us. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? And we'll talk about our nation's solid foundation at its inception, about the cracks that have developed, and about God's scriptural instruction on how to restore our nation. Not knowing everyone here, you may choose to disagree, but that's okay. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, Isaiah 1.18. I thought it would be worthwhile to begin this message by refreshing our minds with the nation's foundations. Please turn in your Bible to Psalm 127.1. Psalm 127.1 in your Bible. Psalm 127.1. This is a very, very, very important verse. King David, Israel's greatest king, wrote these words. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Psalm 127.1, King, New King James. In short, as it goes at home, so it goes for the community, the state, and the country. And the stronger our country is, the safer the world is. It is said that George Washington, when he was sworn in as the first president of the United States, on the balcony of Federal City Hall in New York City, had a Bible open to Psalm 127.1, where General Washington's left index finger rested on it as he rose his right hand to take his oath of office. At the 2022 Flemington National Day of Prayer, the 108th Air Wing Chaplain, New Jersey Air National Guard, Lieutenant Colonel David Caller noted, our quote, our government will never be made different by indifferent people, close quote. And this is true at every level, from local school boards to township boards and committees to state and national offices. As Christians, we need to make a difference. 
President Ronald Reagan has been quoted, quote, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like here in the United States when men were free. Please turn in your Bibles again. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. These verses are Jesus' concluding thoughts after three previous chapters on his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read together from Matthew 7, 24, 27, and let it serve as a home base for our message this morning. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Jesus' words in red, quote, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the heat on that, and, and the beat on that house, and it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Matthew 27, 24 to 27. Anytime we see the word, therefore, we need to stop and ask ourselves, what is that word, therefore? It normally points to a previous text, or it's used for emphasis in the Bible. Given the rapid growth and the unparalleled success of our nation since its inception, I think it's fair to say that she started her, on a solid foundation. It wasn't perfect but the foundational principles and values were rock solid. You'll notice from Matthew's text that Jesus concluded in his sermon on the Mount by emphasizing the importance of foundation. And he, he equated a solid foundation to being aligned with the word of God. Quote, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Back to George Washington's first swearing in ceremony. In addition to having his finger resting on Psalm 127.1, George Washington added four words to his inauguration ceremony. And those four words were, so help me God. It is worth noting that atheists are constantly challenging these legal, the legality of the use of this phrase, and along with the phrase, one nation under God, and in God we trust. Good people do not stand silent or be indifferent and allow God to be removed from our nation as he was expelled from our public schools by the Supreme Court decision of 1962 and 1963. The great statesman Edmund Burke is quoted, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. So after adding the words, so help me God, the very, very first act 
that George Washington did after being inaugurated was to stoop down and kiss the Bible as an affirmation of the submissive spirit that he knew he had to have toward the rule and authority by Almighty God. It was John Adams, the second president of the United States, who said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Let me repeat that. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. John Adams. Folks, it's wholly inadequate for a government of any other, anything other than this, because immoral and godless people have little regard for our Constitution or our laws, and they use both to pervert their intent. For democracy to work, the majority of the people must be religious and moral at their core, or it falls apart. We need only to watch the news every night to realize that we are quickly losing that majority. We have become the minority. Where did all the religious and moral people go? Have they all died? Has that next generation become complacent? Present company excluded, of course. It wasn't just the teachers who honored God back then. The institutions did as well. The fact, 106 of the first 108 schools in America, of schools of higher education, that were, found, were founded by the Christian faith. For example, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, they all began as ministry training schools, schools to train preachers. Now, they all advocate evolutionary thinking. What happened? Well, in my humble opinion, it started with the institutions of higher learning being infiltrated by liberal professors with tenure, teaching that there is no God. It has now reached nearly every level of government and public education in our nation. On February 11, 1861, Abraham Lincoln delivered his farewell address in Springfield, Illinois. Having referenced George Washington, Lincoln said, quote, without the assistance of that divine being who ever attended him, I cannot succeed. With that assistance, I cannot fail. Trusting in him who can go with me and remain with you and be everywhere for good, let us confidently hope that all will yet be well. And to his care, commending you, as I hope in prayers you will commend me, I bid you an affectionate farewell. Close quote, Abraham Lincoln. Of course, things did not go well for Lincoln. His 11-year-old son, Willie, would die while he was in the White House. The South would succeed from the Union, and some 620,000 Americans would lose their lives in that great civil war and the president himself would be assassinated. Our ways are not God's ways. And sometimes we must cling to our faith and trust in God's word because we cannot fathom that the evil minds of Satan's dominions, or Satan's minions, how bad they can be. Nor can we understand how a loving God can allow such things to happen. We see it today with the Russian invasion in the Ukraine with recent shootings in New York, Buffalo, New York, Uvalde, Texas, as well as multiple shootings and violence for no reason in our New York City subways. 
Does anyone else get the sense that we are nearing the end times? As it was in the days of Noah, is this just me? There are prophetic parallels between the messages of Noah and that in the book of Revelation. As the Lord spoke to Noah to build an ark out of gopher wood to save humanity and the animal kingdom from extinction, it would have been pointless if Noah had ignored God. But Noah did obey. Praise the Lord. And then God put a rainbow in the sky as a covenant that he would never again destroy the world by flood. A rainbow in the shape of an ark as a covenant reminder. Good people, God's word is pleading with us today for mankind to enter the living ark through the door of Jesus Christ, our Savior, before it closes forever. God gives each of us the free will to choose to ignore the Holy Spirit's conviction. Yet today, some have perverted the symbol of God's promise and hope to have that has a nefarious meaning, nefarious meaning even in some of our mainline churches that they fly a rainbow flag. Wait a little longer, sweet Jesus, just a few more days to get our loved ones in. But killing one another rather than reasoning together has been going on since the beginning of time when our first parent's son Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because sin entered the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve. Way back in Genesis, if you give Satan an inch, he will soon become your ruler. Why are we physically born into Adam's sin? Or we are physically born into Adam's sin through our human genetics. When we take that first breath, we had nothing to do with it. But we do choose to be spiritually born again by accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Our choice. We can either be born once physically and die twice, or be born twice physically and spiritually and have to die only once. In 1909, President Theodore Roosevelt said, quote, After a week of perplexing problems, it does so rest my soul to come into the house of the Lord to sing and to mean it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My great joy and great glory in occupying this exalted position as president of our nation is that I am enabled to preach the practical moralities of the Bible to my fellow countrymen and to hold up Christ as the hope and savior of the world. Wow. Washington, Adams, Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, all clearly understood their need for divine guidance. And even though there are debates today regarding the type of faith or depth of faith that some of our founders and leaders had, with just a few of these examples before us, I think it is fair to conclude that our country was built on a, upon a firm foundation. Many of our leaders were regularly in the Word of God, and they were guided by prayer. If I were to choose one word to try and describe America in those early days, I would choose the word resolve. These forefathers had a resolve about them. They were unapologetic about their faith in the Lord, 
and at the minimum they were recognized God's almighty authority over them. And that is our foundation. Now let's fast forward to the present time. While our foundation was solid over time, cracks have begun to develop. I imagine many of us would agree that some of those cracks are growing larger and larger every day. We've gone from being a God-fearing people who wanted religious freedom, who knew that God was sovereign and important, and that his values were foundational to our freedom. From there, we have gone to a nation where we are told that we cannot talk about God, lest we offend someone who doesn't share those same beliefs. In a strange twist, even the symbols traditionally woven into the fabric of our nation and minted on our money are seen as an affront in these current times. In 2007, the school board at Arlington High School in Massachusetts made the decision that there could be no American flags in the classroom. They also stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Once the high school uh, students, one of the high school students had a hard time accepting this, and he engaged in a three-year battle trying to get this overturned. Finally, the principal relented and allowed the flags to come back into the classroom and decided that the Pledge of Allegiance could be said after school in the lobby area so as not to offend anyone. When challenged by the students, the principal said, quote, to be honest, I'm not certain we'd be able to get teachers who'd be willing to lead the Pledge of Allegiance in their classrooms, close quote. And so the Pledge of Allegiance was relegated to some covert operation after school instead of being an opportunity for those who want to reflect upon their country or those who choose to come into this country. Can someone please tell me why that principal and these teachers were still allowed to educate our children? Remember Lieutenant Colonel David Collar, quote, our government will never be made different by indifferent people, close quote. It is, the, is the teachers' union that powerful? If so, it makes good sense for parental school choice, but parents need to get involved. How about this? In June 2010, it came to light that Wilder Publications, Wilder Publications, a small publishing company, has begun printing copies of the Constitution and reprints of the Declaration of Independence, as well as the federal papers. This is a good thing, right? The problem is they sell the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution together, and they place a warning label on them reading this. This book is a product of its time. It does not reflect the same values as it would if it were written today. Parents might wish to discuss with their children how views on race, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, and interpersonal relationships have changed since this book was written before allowing them to read this classic work. Today, our history is being rewritten by a National Education Association that warns parents that they have, to, what they, they have no say in their children's education. And they can do nothing about professors with tenure no matter how preposterous their views. Folks, we need to serve on school boards to guard against this woke agenda and send our kids to Christian schools. 
You might think that these stories are isolated events, but they're happening with more and more frequency. We're living in a different world today. We're becoming a different nation. The cracks are becoming more visible in our foundation. Look again at why we're at risk. Matthew 7, 26 and 27. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Until now, the challenge has been, or the change has been slow. So it's easy to sink into a false sense of security. Yet all around us, we see moral standards are declining. Our American values, our biblical principles, and our common sense are being buffeted with stronger and stronger storms and rising tides and evil influence. The cracks are growing and the foundation is eroding. Remember Edmund Burke? The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. When did the cracks really start to show their foundation of our nation? Was there a political storm of the century or some seismic activity that is responsible for shaking up the morals and values of our culture? Many would point to the perfect storm of 1962 as the turning point when the Supreme Court ruled in a six to one decision that voluntary prayer at the start of each school day was unconstitutional because it amounted to state sponsorship of prayer. Have you ever wondered what was so offensive about the Regent's Prayer that was prayed at New York City schools every morning? In March 1959, Time Magazine reported on the story in an article titled, The Offensive Prayer. Let me read the prayer for you that was typically said in New York City schools at that time. This is what the students would recite at the start of every school day in 1961. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. I wasn't really offended by that prayer, were you? Maybe let me read it again. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, in our country. What an offensive prayer that is. That simple 22-word prayer came under fire and went to the Supreme Court for that landmark decision. For some, that decision in 1962 doesn't seem all that monumental. But American historian and committed Christian David Barton has done very extensive research on what happened before and after 1962. And let me tell you, the statistics are startling in category after category. If I were to show you graphs in areas of premarital sex, violent crime, sexually transmitted disease, unwanted pregnancies, single parent households, unmarried couples living together, divorce rates, alcohol consumption, and teen suicides, you would be absolutely stunned. In every category, 
for the 10 to 15 years prior to 1962, the numbers were flat or slightly increasing depending on the population. But then in 1963, one year after the decision, we start to see dramatic exponential growth in every one of these areas. The only area that went down after 1963, SAT scores. So how do you explain all of these statistics? Coincidence? Maybe just, maybe there just really is power in prayer. I quote Ronald, I'll quote Ronald Reagan again, and uh, who said, quote, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we are a nation gone under, close quote. Looking back, the statistics strongly indicate a correlation between the 1962 decision to remove prayer and a significant turning point in the moral health of our nation. It communicated that we were turning away from our foundation as a nation, turning away from God. Abraham Lincoln again was quoted as saying, quote, if destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be the author and finisher, close quote. We are indeed the authors of our own fate. I believe that many Christians are deeply concerned about our country, but the, different, the definition of what it means to be a Christian has now been watered down. Compromising Christians are on the rise. It has become too easy to be a Christian in name only. So while we think the word resolve uh, to summarize our early forefathers and nation, I would choose the word relativism to describe our culture for these past 50 years or more. Progressives tell us that there, is no, there are no absolutes, no absolute true, no absolute false, no absolute good or evil. What right do you have to uh, what's right for you might not necessarily be right for me, but you don't have the right to judge me. Any belief system is just fine as long as you're sincere. All you just need to do is coexist. The majority of our forefathers did believe in absolute truth, but that is not in vogue in our post-America anymore, postmodern America. Please turn in your Bibles to John 14.6. John 14.6 in your Bibles. John 14.6. And again, these are the word of Jesus. These are words in red. John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That statement has eternal implications for every tribe and every nation. Just as I believe that all of us are deeply concerned for our nation, I believe that we would all love to see the foundation of our nation restored. How do we restore our nation's moral fiber and character? What can we do to restore our nation? Well, I'd say that we need godly people to run for office. We need Christians to register and to vote. And then election, we, when election rolls around, we need Christians who will actually go to the polls and exercise their right to vote. And we need Christians to volunteer to be observers at the polling places to ensure that everything is above board. But it goes further than that. Christians must look at those issues where the Bible speaks. 
Clearly, they must allow God's word to guide their choices. If we don't restore our nation, the momentum of our free fall may be insurmountable. We need those people of honorable character who believe in Judeo-Christian values to be elected into government. Integrity does matter. And how a candidate conducts their personal life is a testimony on how they will act once they're in office. Once elected, we need them to stay true to those values and the virtues and always remember why they chose to become a public servant. Those would be my first thoughts for restoring our nation, but more importantly, what are God's first thoughts? The recommendations God gives us are quite different than the few ideas that I've just shared with you. As we've seen in Matthew text, Jesus called to hear his words and to put them into practice. But much earlier than that, God himself shared his recommendations for a nation of Israel when they saw some cracks in their foundation and a desired restoration. We started with the, uh, this morning, or in Old Testament, in your Bible, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. God said, if my people who call are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Let's take a closer look now at this promise from God. There are two words that make this a conditional promise. If, then. If my people, then I will hear. Lord, I pray that we would see a revival that will spread through our towns, our country, our county, our state, and in through our nation, and may it start right here, Lord. We have become so conditional to, to point fingers everyone and to blame everyone else. It's Congress' fault. It's the Senate's fault. We blame Republicans. We blame Democrats. We blame independents. We blame the president. We blame previous presidents. We blame anybody and everybody for the condition of our country. But we don't ever take any action. And we don't hold our politicians accountable. We blame everybody but not ourselves. But God takes the focus off of blaming others and he places the spotlight on each one of us. And he says, if my people, those who follow me, who bear my name, that is us, folks. So it's easier to blame politicians and criticize the media. But we need to take a look at our own families. We need to take a look at our own lives. If the family is the foundation of a nation, then we had better pour spiritual principles into our children and our grandchildren. We had better be heeding God's advice on the massive restoration project that we have before us. And dear friends, I'm here to tell you that it is heartbreaking when they don't want to hear it because the influence of Satan is strong among their peers. We can never, never, never give up. And we must keep them constantly in prayer. The Second Chronicles passage says that we must humble ourselves. That means to empty ourselves of pride and selfish ambition. Not about us, it's about him. We need not vote our pocketbooks. We are to vote godly principles. And as the individuals and families, we are told to pray, to have a conversation with God, to share our hearts with God, 
please turn in your New Testament in your New Testament of your Bible to 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. <coughs> 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, and I'll read it. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. Ah, what's it there for? The word therefore, in this case, is for emphasis. Let's read it again. Therefore, I exhort first that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. That is for us to pray for our leaders, even those that we don't agree with. Pray for our governmental leaders, our communities, for our country. Pray and seek God's face and draw close to him without apathy. The Chronicles passage calls for us to turn from our wicked ways, that we are to turn to God's direction and say no to our sinful cravings, no to our materialistic desires, no to our natural lusts. If we do these things individually, and if believers will do them collectively, across our nation, the God of the universe promises to forgive us our sin. He promises to heal our land. God cannot lie, and Satan can only deceive. So I have prayed, let it start right here with this church. Our mission field is right here in our community. For our first two centuries of existence, our strength as a nation was our moral, not our manpower. It was our convictions, not our connections. It was our faith, not our finances. If mirrored what King David said in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Good people, our hope is in God. We look to him for direction and guidance. As families and as nations, our politics can help us, but they are not the answer. Our government can help us, but government is not the answer. It is not realistic to think that spiritual revival is going to start at the White House. It's going to start here in our house. We've got to stand for biblical truth. We cannot worry about the heart of Washington until we have taken a look at our own hearts. My fear is that in recent years, there has been another bailout, not from the government. This bailout comes from God's people who have bailed out on their biblical foundations. If America could somehow speak, what self-inflicting, indicting words would she say to us? Dave Stone, pastor of Southern Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, offers these ideas on what our nation might say. Dear citizens, in our fear of offending newcomers to our country, we have downplayed the sacrifices of those who serve and have served in our country and protected our freedom of worship. In our attempt to be inclusive, we have stopped saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. In our desire to fulfill our lust, we've fractured our families. In our efforts to cover our mistakes, 
we have allowed nearly 65 million abortions to take place since 1973. In our quest for more and more possessions, we've racked up huge debt that rob us of our joy. In our attempt to be tolerant, we have discounted the sanctity of marriage. In our search for the fountain of youth, we have stopped listening to the wisdom of the elderly. In our desire for wealth, we have communicated in gold we trust. In our efforts for political correctness, we have neutered the power of our Christian witness. In our desire to, fill it, to fit it, we have forsaken our first love, Jesus Christ. Folks, these are tough realities to face, but people of God, people of the book, must never give up hope. Let us commit ourselves to humble prayer for our nation and to ask God to jumpstart within us our faith of our fathers, which leads to the cross and starts a spiritual revival, a spiritual revival where Christians have Bibles opened on their laps rather than decorations on the coffee table, a spiritual revival where a handshake is just as binding as a legal contract, a spiritual revival where husbands and wives actually mean it when they say, until death do us part. A spiritual revival where Christians are more prone to fall on their knees than to puff out their chests. And a spiritual revival where the Bible-believing churches there are, that are stand against the gates of hell which cannot prevail. Let's listen to our country. The cracks in our foundation are calling for a restoration that can come through the power of God, but it begins with prayer and humility and with the repentance. And without these three, God does not promise to hear or to heal our nation. In conclusion, there is clear evidence that our nation's firm foundation, and there's clear evidence that we have turned our back on God. To restore our nation, we must humble ourselves, pray and seek his face, and to turn from our wicked ways. And I want to start that humble prayer right here, right now. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me as I guide us through some prayer times. Our Father God, I thank you for the untold blessings that you have graciously given to our nation. We ask that you show forgiveness and mercy to each of us and to our nation for the ways that we have not walked according to your desires and to your will. We pray for our leaders that would recognize their personal inadequacy for the task of governing our country. We pray that you would help them to remember their accountability to you for their attitudes, motives, behaviors, and decisions that affect our nation. And we pray for the spiritual health of Christians, of the churches in our nations, that they will be faithful and seek the powerful centers of discipleship, worship, and evangelism. We pray for our military, asking that you protect them from harm and danger, and also for the families, that they will find comfort and strength in you during times of long separation. And we pray for the broke, brokenness of our society, for crime, addiction, violence, and memorial relationships, that we will replace, these will be replaced with a desire to honor God and his words. Please keep your eyes closed, and if I'm going to finish our prayer time together by praying a prayer from President Abraham Lincoln. President Abraham Lincoln offered this prayer back in 1863 as a pivotal point in our nation's history. And I'm going to read you the exact prayer that President Lincoln prayed. 
Dear Lord, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten you, O God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserves us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined that deceitfulness of our hearts, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God who made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Close quote. And Lord, today, here in 2023, we do the same. May we say it, may we mean it, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.